Taylor's Tins, one of the best there is. A good friend of ours and supporter of National Fire Radio. He comes up first in a lineup of sponsors because he means that much to me. Taylor's been with us from day one. I hit him up on day one and said, brother, I love your shield. I love what it represents. I'd like to give them out to all of our podcast guests. And from day one, almost five years ago, we've been issuing Taylor's Tins to all of our guests as a keepsake and recognition for their willingness to share some time and their story with us in our community at National Fire Radio. These aluminum helmet fronts, they change the market. They're revolutionary in what they do. Even if you're a traditionalist with the leather shield, the aluminum shield offers so much when it comes to durability, cleanliness, decon. They can do it all with the aluminum shield. Their customer service, let's talk about that for a minute, where things usually take several weeks now to get your hands on them from the from conception to manufacturing process and out the door and onto your helmet. Taylor can turn around orders within 48 hours, whether it's a 500-piece shield order for your department or a one-off customized shield. Taylor's doing them, and he's doing them within 48 hours, and they're getting out the door. It's not just the helmet shields. Nope, there's more. They got locker tags, carbon monoxide meter, you know, data sheets. They have pump data sheets, pump tags, locker tags, street signs, banquet gifts. You name it, the list goes on and on. Check them out at taylorstins.com. That's where they conduct business. You can hit them up on the chat right there. They walk you through the process of designing your custom Taylor's Tin from the website. So go to taylorstins.com, check them out. They represent the very best of what the American Fire Service is all about, and I'm proud to have them as a sponsor of the National Fire Radio platform. And in the words of Taylor and his crew, stop burning up leather. Another great sponsor of the National Fire Radio podcast, Fire Department Coffee. Based out of Rockford, Illinois, Fire Department Coffee is a veteran-owned, firefighter-run coffee company dedicated to providing great-tasting, freshly roasted coffee to people everywhere. Along with providing a growing selection of incredible coffee, including signature spirit-infused roasts, Fire Department Coffee also supports our fellow first responders in need through the Fire Department Coffee Foundation by giving back to those who have been injured on the job, mentally or physically, or who are facing other serious health challenges. They are a company that supports our own. Check out Fire Department Coffee. They have so much to offer. Jason Patton and his crew are good friends of the National Fire Radio brand. We appreciate them for being a sponsor of our podcast. Check them out. Fire Department Coffee. They're brewing coffee to support us. Hey, everybody. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. Back at it on the audio platform of the podcast today. Mario Badillo. This guy is a tech rock star that I've met. Houston Fire, 20 years on the line, 14 years on the tech rescue. He's currently serving on Rescue 10. Mario, thanks for joining me, buddy. Well, thank you, Jeremy, for having me. Appreciate it. You know, it's uh, it's a fun conversation. You and I run in a in a circle of incredible firefighters, uh, retired, active officers, chiefs on down, right, from all over the country. It's like 20 guys or so. Um, that we've kind of partnered up through Steve and Affordable Drill Towers, and we just have this incredible group that maintains a, a text group that is nonstop, and we travel to a few different conferences together, and we get to bounce a lot of ideas, opportunities, and things off of each other, which I think is so important, and um, you are a valued person within that group and I'm grateful for knowing you and getting to meet you and I'm just excited today to to rap with you a little bit so talk to me about how you like the foundation of Houston Fire and then getting into tech rescue because I know how passionate you are about it so let's go down that road for a few minutes before we hop into one or two topics okay cool um so I've been with HFD for about 20 years now uh, actually a little over 20 years and a couple months <laughs> at this point but uh most of it has been Spec Ops uh, technical rescue team, um, Houston Fire, and uh, right now I'm currently with uh, Rescue 10 on the A shift on the southwest side, uh, basically Chinatown. But we cover the whole west side of the city. Rescue 11 uh, gets the middle, and Rescue 42 gets the east side. So Houston's uh, got three heavy rescue companies, right? That's correct. Just three and, uh, for a large amount of territory. Well, that's what I was just going to say, because I know through conversation with you and the other guys that I've gotten to know down there, you guys cover a massive territory. 
yeah, it's pretty it's pretty substantial. And not only that, we uh, we can go into contiguous ter- uh, counties as well, right? Bend, surrounding counties. So we we do stuff with them uh, as well. So plenty of opportunity. I mean, there's uh, yeah. constantly running, constantly going to work. I wouldn't say constantly running, but there's there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of new builds, and and a lot of traffic. So that that makes for a, a nice mixture of different things within our technical rescue uh, uh, forte, if you will. So how did you get into, like, what was the desire? Because obviously you come in on the line as a firefighter and eventually you found oh, your yeah. way to the spec ops. So how did how did your journey work out that you ended up where you are today? Well, I wanted to do something different. I came from a la- from my uh, engine company and I got, I got bored and I read this book called uh, Last Out. It's about uh, FDNY's Rescue 2. Right. And, uh, I just read it from cover to cover, and I was like, "This is I want to do this." <laughs> and I had a buddy from my my uh, from Station Ten that went to rescue, and was like, "You know, I want to do this. This is awesome. I want to, I want to, you know, hang off a rope. I want to do confined space and all sorts of other stuff and, and and swift water." Yeah. And this offered me that opportunity to to satisfy that appetite for that. It just looked real cool and high speed. Yeah, um, I mean, so you were looking for more. Oh yeah, definitely. It was it was man, I was bit. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that's that's what it is, right? It's like when you get to when when you're at a place that you feel like you want to do more or give more or do more for you know, to 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 make yourself do better and and, and you know, push yourself to do more. You're looking for those opportunities. And then, you know, in large fire departments like that, like Houston, you have that ability, right? I mean, there's so many different avenues that you could potentially hop into. Um, and so Spec Ops certainly does not disappoint, I can imagine. No, not at all. And I think, and you hit a little point there. Um, I was starting to get a little complacent because yeah. we, were, uh, we weren't making many fires. And, you know, I was getting bored. I want to be a better firefighter and just, do more and contribute more so that that's what drove me to spec ops that's cool now how does that process work do you have to take the training prior to being assigned or do you get assigned over to the company and then you go through the training as as time goes on um well compared to other cities um they don't pick you out of who they want you have to have a minimum of five years experience in the fire department which is good yeah um then you do a resume and they uh, they vet you and they want, you know, basically uh, veterans, people that, are, you know, that have something to bring to the table as well. Just yeah, you know, for sure. Carpentry or or military. Uh, I'm ex-Navy, so I brought that to the table. Oh, okay, um, I didn't know that. Okay, I got you. Yeah. I didn't know that, Mario. Awesome. So uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and, man. Uh, I mean, I love it. Yeah, good. They look for that, and uh, so you go through. You, they vet you with your resume, and then you take a swim test. And from there, they they the process continues, and you get selected for the class, the technical rescue uh, operations level, and that's about four weeks long. Okay. And from there, you get wait you you wait to get assigned, judging on uh, spots open and seniority. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then, so once you get to that company, then I'm sure there's, you know, I mean, it's just nonstop, right? It's in-house training, it's company training, it's departmental training, right? It just continuing and furthering your education because you guys are an all-encompassed specialized team, right? So you guys do all the disciplines of technical rescue. Yes, everything except uh, we don't have a diving component. Okay. Uh, HPD handles that. Oh, okay. Um, Gotcha. At one point, we had a helicopter rescue team that was just disbanded not too long ago. But I did that for about six years on the team. Helicopter rescue team? Yeah. What the had a belt. Give me that. What's that about? <laughs> that sounds amazing. Uh, we had a joint venture with a Houston Fire Department um, for the helicopter rescue team, which is basically a Huey or a Bell 412. Um, we'd be the rescuers in the back and they flew and they controlled the winch. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So they were dropping you into canyons or rooftops or whatever, and <laughs> you would package lift and, and, and bring out. 
Absolutely, absolutely. We were the dopes on the rope. That's and I was perfectly fine with that. <laughs> I love that. That's <laughs> awesome. That. I'd rather I'd rather be doing that than flying it. So believe it or not, there you go. That's awesome. So that had to be exciting. So I mean, let me. Have you always been like an adrenaline guy? Like growing up, even I mean, in the Navy, prior to the Navy, I mean, were you a guy that always seeked out? you know, excitement and, and, uh, and to push yourself to try different and exciting and adrenaline type things? Um, I, th- I think to a degree, um, but I was never one for those, uh, for like skydiving or anything like that. I just wanted to do something different. You just want to hang out of a helicopter, but you don't want to jump yeah. out of a plane. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Isn't that weird? <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, we had that for a while, um, but we do everything else. We do swift water. We do high, high angle, uh, confined space, extrication. Um, so we have everything else except diving. And fires. Oh, yeah. That's our main, that's our main <laughs> bread and butter. Yeah, main right. Bread and butter there. Now, you go to – within your response area, then, you're going to every, every uh, structural fire, correct? Huh. No. Um, our dispatch isn't set up like that. Oh, Okay. Think. Um, we get dispatched to, uh, people trapped, um, confirmed fire. Okay. If it's an outright box to a fire, we don't get dispatched. What we do is we like to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We'll go out. If our, if our engine company is first in, we're going to go with them. Okay. So we're basically kind of jumping, jumping it. No, I understand. I mean, Hey, Hey, we'll be, we'll be on the air. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I get oh, it, man. Okay, I mean, okay. I, well, listen, that's a proactive response. I mean, that's, you know, that's common sense, and every company in the country that wants to go to fires is doing that. So, I mean, that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. I agree. Um, a dispatch needs to change on that that end. Um, we need to be, they need to be more proactive in, in putting this in and at least giving us the levity that if there's nothing there, we can go back and service and, and, and do something else. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I mean, give me give me a rundown then on the you know your journey. So you you got into rescue, you 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 tested in, you you resumed in, you finally got your spot. Did it disappoint? Um. So when we get to the truck, we have to do an internship program that's roughly about um, a month or so. Okay. Uh, or a few months, I forget how it is now, but um. You know, OJT, they test you on all the equipment. Uh, every day you're, you're pulling stuff out and going over it, you're training on it. It was nonstop. It was great. Yeah. Um, even do territory tests for some place I've never been. <laughs> okay, good. But uh, it, it, it continued. Uh, at first, you know, it, just like any organization, um, you're the new guy. And so you're waiting for opportunity to prove yourself. And so um, it, it wasn't disappointing. It was just different. Sure. Um, I get it. I was a rookie once again. Literally, I was a rookie once again. So I was fine with that. I just wanted to prove myself. So in that respect, it was kind of disappointing because I didn't get enough um, uh, to, to prove yet. Okay. Unbeknownst to me, uh, it was going to happen. <laughs> and what's the old saying? Be careful what you wish for. And yeah. Boy, I got a big, big bowl of it. <laughs> Did you? Did you? Yes, sir. So what? Okay. So what is that? What did that big bowl look like? I mean, you know, you've been now 14 years with the company, right, or in the rescue services, if you will, for Houston Fire. Yes. Uh, you know, I can only imagine the responses and type of responses you've been to over that 14 year career riding the rescue. Yes. So my big spoonful of uh, "Be careful what you wish for" was uh, a handle rescue off the. Uh, Damn, what building was that? The uh, Wells Fargo building downtown. Okay. It was three window washers. Um, their platform basically had got stuck. They tried to go up with the platform on the side of the building, and it twisted. And uh, part of the machinery broke off and fell to the ground. Well, this oh, wow. occurred during a Sunday on a hot day, no wind. So it was perfect conditions. Yeah. We went up to the 65th floor. We waited for the window glazers to get there so they can knock out the window. And they lowered me down one story onto the platform. Um, I gave one of the victims a harness. And what they did was 
they, the, the guys, the rest of the team, they broke out another window and had scaffolding interior and set a ladder across the platform. And basically, I kind of walked them into the building. Okay. So that was my first uh "Quote unquote rescue." <laughs> ah, that's, hey, that's not a that's not a bad one to start with, right? I mean, that's uh, sixty five floors up. Don't look down. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what was I, I what was I your that at all? What was your takeaway from that? You were like every all the preparation you were putting in to get to that point where you're going to put your rope skills to the test, right? And you're the you're the lucky guy that draws the straw to go out and secure the guys on the scaffolding. Uh, you know, on the on the window washer scaffolding, and then you know that was you. What was that like? Was was the the preparation and the wait time to get to that moment? Did it all make sense and pay off? Yes, it did. It was just very very nervous uh, as far. My big thing for that was getting the harness right on the victim. Okay, that was the only thing I was worried about. Yeah, so I I, I, I did do that. I had guidance from above, which. Uh, Captain Dennis Lavasser, he was at the at the window looking down at me and, and kind of coaching me along. So I had that. So it was that was awesome. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's good. It's a team approach for sure. So yes, I mean, sir. so that was your introduction to the high angle world. But I know you've yeah. been involved with other serious rescues, recoveries, and so on um, throughout your career. Um, yes, are there sir. are there any others that stand out to you that were just memorable moments or? you know, things that help shape your career or, or change your way of thinking or the way you operate? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is specifically, and, and I, and you're uh, going to get me to talk about it, so I will. <laughs> well, no, like, you listen, if you're not comfortable, I mean, this is, this is certainly just. Oh, no, I love it. Okay. Love it. All right, good. Uh, it was the May 31st fire or, uh, or the Southwest in fire that, yeah. that happened, uh, May 31st, uh, 2013. Uh, that day we lost. Houston Fire Department lost four, four good people. Yes, uh, one of them, Robert Beebe, was my classmate. Uh, my peril number is one one nine one four four. His is one one nine one four five. He sat next to me. He was in my squad. Wow. So we had a lot of we had a lot of history. We worked side jobs together. We were rookies at the same fire station together, Station Ten. So we have a lot of history. Yeah. Uh, we lost Captain Matt Renaud. Uh, we lost uh, another. Rookie firefighter by the name of Ann Sullivan, female, uh, sister. Right. And Robert Garner, who served at 68, Station 68. Um, so anyways, that was the that was the other. That's the, I had that one spoonful of be careful what you wish for, for the high angle. Well, I got to eat a couple of bowls that day. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and I looked back at FDNY and the guys over at in, in a, a Arizona that lost, you know, 19 guys and stuff like that. And of yeah. course there's, I couldn't fathom those days for them. And for me, this was a, this is a utter hell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a daily thing. So I'm, I, yes. And yeah, you know, anyway, uh, yeah, please. No, take your <laughs> we, time. Take your time. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was, it was the epitome of writ. So we had, we were doing an active firefight collapse and confined space all in one big, all in one big ball. Yeah. Uh, rescue 10, uh, I was on that day. We were the first rescue truck truck there on location. Uh, reported into the, the chief. Chief told us to uh, talk to Captain McAfee, um, who knew where everybody was. Uh, we had actually got dispatched to another fire prior to going there. And my captain, Captain Cliff Langton, was like calling OEC, was like, which fire do you want us to go to? OEC told us to go to the Southwest End, so we did. Yeah. Uh, we heard the fire. We saw the smoke. We we're making our turn. We we're circling, circling around to uh, heading south down Beltway 8, making our turn to Highway 59. And then uh, we smoked this drop down. It banked down real low. And then we heard the Mayday. And we got... You know, we had the pucker factor there. It was like, holy cow. Yeah. Um, you were just arriving when when the Maydays went out? We were probably about five minutes out when the Maydays, Mayday occurred. Um, the Mayday was pulled by another captain from Engine 82. Uh, it wasn't called by the, the, the personnel that were trapped. 
uh, it was a basically a Southwest Inn was a part of it was a uh, hotel and the front portion was a restaurant and uh, like a little uh, hole type deal. Yeah. Well, that restaurant collapsed due to this tremendous amount of fire load. Yeah, it was a catastrophic uh, failure, right? I mean, the, the building, coll- I mean, it collapsed. It wasn't, you know, it was a the catastrophic collapse. Yeah, it was, it was, it was incredible. Uh, yeah. So we had the mixture of that fire plus we had all that, all that smoke was real low. So everybody, you know, there's a lot of people that got sent to the hospital that day from carbon monoxide and just sheer exhaustion. Yeah. Um. So we wound up going inside the window there and uh, start started to help direct crews to put out fire. Um, we were cutting rafters with our saws, with our, our chainsaws, and the chainsaws were dying because of so much smoke. Yeah, choking out. Yeah, yeah, choking out. Um, that to this day, that's what. Uh, now we have um, electronic saws. Yeah, that's a good takeaway from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, we we got in there. Uh, we helped me, Patrick Horton, and um, and firefighter Abbott from Rescue Eleven. We dislodged uh, a table, Captain uh, Captain from uh, Engine Sixty Eight. Bill Dowling was trapped, so he was trapped in basically like a lean-to collapse. Um, fire was impinging on him. At that point, his legs, we didn't know till later when we actually pulled him out, that his legs were on fire and, and basically eaten through by the fire. Wow. So we got him, uh, we dislodged that table. I'm just, I'm shortening this. I'm sorry. No, no, um, I understand. I understand completely. Uh, so we dislodged the table. Uh, Patrick and I and, and, and Abbott, we, we rocked this plastic table. Man, that was the hardest thing I ever did in my entire life was pull a round plastic table. That's all it was. Yeah. But it was, Bill was right behind it and he had all that built up material from that collapse. So we wound up pulling that table out. Um, um, that was the hardest thing I ever did. But prior to that, um, we were actually, we were actually the first, from what I understand, from uh, Scott to have the first writ save with a Scott air pack. Is that right? Yes, sir. Um, me, Patrick Horton and, uh, Abbott and chief of the time. So we're in prior to pulling that table out. Um, we were inside that. We were working in just inside the, 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 um, the window. Um, Patrick handed me a a writ pack and the the regulator on it was tiny. It was probably about six inches long with the tail. And I looked and I said to him, I can't do anything with this. It's too short. Get me another one. So they, I, they, he grabbed that and they got me another rip pack. We had all these rip packs off to the side. When I got to the location, finally, that, uh, as companies would arrive, they would stack up the rip packs to one side. So anyway, we're in, we're in the, we're in the window and they got me another rip pack. So I pulled out the regulator, had a longer line set, helped set that up. I advanced it. Um, Kevin Matheson grabbed it and then put it in Captain Bill Dowling's hands. Bill Bill had it in his hands and put his own regulator in. Wow. He was still alive uh, and talking, not walking, but he was trapped. So he pulled the table out eventually. And uh, I got out. I dumped all my equipment. I was done. I was physically done and dry heaving. Yeah, wow. Captain Captain Horton started to grab Bill. And everybody else kind of helped pull him out from that point and put him on the stretcher. Um, at that point I was at the stretcher, help get him on the stretcher. And I was looking at his legs, um, the belt strap for the, um, the stretcher, the bottom section, I looked at his legs and I didn't know what to do with the belt straps. Wow. Either I put it around his legs or not. I was yeah, kind of dumbfounded. So, wow. um, did that we got them out we uh, we rehabbed it for a minute and then continued to fight the exterior uh, awning fire it was a lot of heavy fire um eventually we had a powwow we all met together on the rescue team and then we had to do the rec- help assist with the recovery yeah uh, helped shut tools back and forth and uh, we eventually had to cut our way through 
a built-up roof and recover the bodies one by one. Wow. And that was time-consuming because they had to take pictures. Arson had to take pictures and so forth. So it was, it was heartbreaking at that point because it was taking way too long in my eyes. But something that somebody else had to do their job too. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. What a, what an, in, just, wow. I, Mario, thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, that is, I know it can't be easy and I'm sure the days, weeks, months, and years after it. And like you said before, I mean, you still think about it daily. Um, what did that experience to you um, being involved with something like that? What has that done for your career? Has has that shaped you in a way, um, I'm sure there were a lot of difficult moments uh, throughout your career because of it. Um, and I'm sure there's been some, you know, terrible lows and maybe a, a few highs to, to believe that you all were in the right place at the right time, if need be, or something like that. But what, can you just speak to that a little bit? I mean, you know, it's not, not everybody is involved in something like that during their career. And, um, you know, I know through other guys that you work with and so on, I know the heroism that went on that day. And I know that you probably don't want to hear that word, but there was a tremendous effort made by the companies there working that day um, to try to save their own or save their own. And, um, and you were directly, you know, a part of that. So what did that, how did that affect your career? Um, well, I learned a lot of things that day. Uh, one of our good uh, mutual friends was at that fire as well, uh, Waylon yeah. uh, Kelly. Yes. Um, he escaped from being trapped from a collapse. So there was a secondary collapse that occurred at that fire. Um, we had three firemen that were trapped and Waylon came out of it un- miraculously unscathed. Wow. To, to, I mean, that's like, uh, basically that's something you see in a cartoon. I don't want to make light of it, but you know, <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, that's, that's how you made it out it. like that. And yeah. uh, the other guys got trapped and they all had uh career ending injuries. Wow. So that's one thing is, uh, always look at the big picture. Um, if there's one collapse, there's more than likely going to be a secondary. Yeah. Um, right. The other thing is, um, I used to be a test feeder. Far as firefighting goes, going headlong and not think and look around and get a big strategic view. Uh, that changed my thought on that. Yeah. Um, it also changed the way I approach RIT training. Um, instead of training for one, train for several. Yes. Uh, know your equipment more uh, inside and out and how you can apply it for different things as well. It's not just built for what people above say you need to be using it for yeah um and and it's changed my thoughts as far as safety to be more safe to to and to actually take in everything and look at everything in the safety aspect because somebody needs it um there's other guys concentrating and focusing on their job somebody else needs to be looking behind them and for them and watching their backs that's a that's a really strong point. I, I think that's uh, you know that that right there. I think that is you know important and also comes with a lot of experience and maturity to really to understand that right. As to guys are going to work, somebody's got to be watching the work they're doing. Absolutely, um, and I sometimes do and a, a point for that is um, there's things you should be doing, and sometimes you don't have to be doing certain things. You got to hold back and wait and say, okay, now's not the time to do that. Yeah, kind of rushing in headlong and like a bull in a china club there's a time and place for that so yeah no that's it's a very good point of course i mean tempo timing on the fire ground or on the rescue grounds is is important and um it's probably not spoken enough about so listen man i i can't thank you enough for just sharing that with us um that that was super powerful and i can only imagine how that has shaped your career and um, you know, and, but you still have this incredible love for the tech rescue side of it. Right. I mean, you know, 14, 14 years now in that discipline and you've, you've seen some terrible things along the way and you've seen some incredible had, had very big highs and, and very low lows, but you stick with it because of why the challenge. 
I found my calling. You know, a lot of guys would tell me in the fire department, why, why aren't you uh, promoting? Well, the reason why I don't want to promote, because one, you need somebody with experience and knows what they're doing. And I'm not tooting my horn, but you need experience and knowledge to continue doing this and passing on information. Kind of look like it's kind of like U.S. military special operations. Um, you know, the higher tier end units, they have, you know, they're all sergeants and, and E7s and 8s and 9s. For us, it's just senior pipeline. Yeah. Right. Right. And they, they, they want to operate. They want to do the job. And it's kind of the same way for me. Uh. I don't want to promote because of that. Um, plus, I know how to. I want to. I know how to be led, and I'm quite comfortable doing what I'm doing and being led right by the right officer. So, that's another topic we can talk about later. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're gonna. We're gonna. I mean, we're we're obviously heading in that direction, which is fantastic, yeah. right? I mean, there's. You know, it's it's uh, it's it, it was nice to get a little bit of background about you and 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 so on and and where your passion and love for this job has come from and and the things that you know, I've helped shape the career you've had, but I know you're with where I was headed was with the, the passion you have for tech. And you know what, Mario, before I even go there, the fact that the fact that you even recognize what you just said over the last two minutes about, you know, maintaining, I don't want to promote. I want to stay where I am because we need guys with, we need guys in those positions to help bring up the next round as well as, you know, everything that you have learned over the years, you promote and take it with you. Who's leaving it, who's staying behind to help the next generation. Right. And that's, that's strong. And, and you said that, you know, how to be led. Like, I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. That is something that you really have to have a real deep appreciation and understanding of your own, value in what you bring to the table and being able to say that you know how to be led. Yes. That's uh, powerful, man. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, it's something I've thought about a lot and I always think about, um, well, it helps me get better. And, and that's not only is it my job to uh, do what I do and, and, and help others, civilians, but, you know, as well as the officer corps, you know, we gotta, we gotta help them along. If we're not doing our job, it, it falls on them, you know, then it makes everybody look, look bad. And we fail as a team. So if it's not, it's, it needs to go down when I mean down the opposite direction of the new people. And then also needs to go up. Yes. The leaders as well. I love that. That's, that's very, very powerful. I love that. That's good. So talk. Hey. Yeah, go, go, go. Um, so my thing with that is, um, and, and as you know, um, you go through your career 20 years worth and you see a lot of bad leaders and you you see uh, very few good leaders. I was lucky to have more good leaders than, than bad leaders. So um, I know exactly what I want and I know uh, for the most part um, how to work around certain um, ticks, I guess you want to call yeah. it. Purposes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. No, you're spot on with that. Hey, I'm not perfect either. So I mean, they got to deal with me. <laughs> well, it's, it's that give and take, right? But I mean, the fact that you recognize the importance of it coming from the top down, but also from the, the bottom up, right? Like, you know, it's that fine balance of understanding that. And, and that's all part of navigating the space. And, and I have to think, almost more so in a, in a special ops company, there is, there is a, a lot more direction and discipline and conversation happening. I think because of the different, the, the absolute quantity of responsibilities that you maintain, there has to be this commonality between the boss and the command staff and all the way down to the, the backseat firefighter in a rescue company, just because there's so much involved. Like you were talking about that, that with that scaffolding rescue in downtown, like your boss was above you, you know, not coaching, but you know, uh, checklist type stuff, you know, I mean, that's important. You need to have that. And he has to have the trust in you that you know what you're doing, but you have to have the trust in him that he's got your back and making sure that the job is being done correctly. It's just, it's that really fine balance that we all need to understand. And I think that comes just with time and experience and maturity. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's a good point there. 
it's also a teaching point because whenever I, I, I teach uh, swift water rescue on the side or instruct with the triad uh, international okay. rescue, um, one, of the thing, one of the things I like to drive is I'll have the officers, I'll, I'll tell the officers, hey, officers, you're an officer, look for this. You should be looking for this. Watch at, watch for this, you know, certain points or, or little intricacies that they need to look at as a leader for their guys. You know, safety checks. I'm big on safety checks. I said, hey, safety check your people. Have them do that to each other as well. Drive that point home. Even a basic knot. Hey, this is what to look for in a knot or uh, a system or some type of, uh, uh, you know, the way the, the river is going. Officers, look at look at it like this for your people. This is the big picture. So I like to help them out in that end, and I drive that point with different things that I instruct. So that's big to me because I want to help development. The reason why I say that because in the Houston Fire Department, there's very little officer mentorship and development. It's not like the U.S. military where they send you through leadership school or even for NCOs. I've gone through leadership training as an NCO's E5. They don't have that. They don't have that for EOs. They certainly don't have it for officers. They have it for maybe, what, a week long? They have an NPO class. That's it. Mm. And you're on. You're off to the wolves you go. Yeah. Well, I, it's, oh. it's, not just, it's not just your hometown, man. I mean, this is, this is a problem <laughs> that plagues a lot of the American Fire Service is one day they're riding the back step, the next day they're riding the front seat. And we don't, we're not setting up our people well enough to be able to understand and how to cope and manage the different position within 24 hours. And, yes. you know, we need to do a better job. I mean, you know, it's uh, we need to do a much better job across the board in putting together programs and promoting our, our guys that when they get promoted, we promote them to be a better leader by giving them the tools they need. Absolutely. Um, so with, with that, and that's my, 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 my theory is to, at least coach them from below, um, push it forward, make them more successful. Their decision-making, me having the knowledge and helping in their decisions uh, and training together as a unit to get that team factor and cohesion. Um, you know, and, and that's one of the things that's a bit different from us, from uh, spec ops to suppression. We don't operate... Uh, you know, baby ducks and mama duck thing. <laughs> talk about that. Talk about that. Cause I know that's important to you. There's a lot of misconceptions between say fire ground suppression and, and, you know, truck company like support work, you know, special services on the fire ground, but then it comes to the tech work. There's a lot of misconceptions, right? I mean, across the yeah. board. Yeah. And even we'll go back even to as far as like station life too, you know, they see us, um, they're making all these runs. They're making EMS runs, and we don't run on EMS calls. They do. Um, the engines, ladder, and uh, of course the medic units, ambulances. They all run on EMS. We we don't we don't run on EMS calls. So, I mean, there's only three rescue trucks. You need the expertise when you need it. So sure. Um, so there's a misconception. Oh, you guys don't do anything. Uh, we don't do anything as far as making as many runs as they do. Or the, the the you know the the stub toe or anything like that. We don't we don't do that. But when we make the fire ground, our main job is them. We watch their backs, conditions. We're listening to radio traffic. We're softening the building. We're looking for egress. We'll even uh, help shuck hose if we if we need to. We'll throw ladders and do truck work. To a point, you need to be fresh for us, for any, for for our department. Yeah, uh, my thing is to be fresh, and we can do all this other truck work. Um, to a point, we can't uh, blinder ourselves and and do that, and all of a sudden, we got two guys trapped deep in there. So that's why I'm a fan of interior writs or forward writ, um, staging closer inside. Getting to know the conditions, feeling what's going on, hearing, uh, sometimes smelling if you're not if you're not having your regulator, and uh, get a good feel, right? And that that will set us up for success. For success, and now we can go in and operate 
or be in there and operate and get our get our friends out. And that's what it's all about. And that's what another takeaway from the May thirty first part. I know pretty much everybody on my shift on my side of town. They're all my, you know, brothers and sisters. So that carries a lot of weight with me. I want to know. I want to know where they're at. You know what? Would you not want to know where your little brother is? You know, oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. So uh, or sister. So uh, that's the way I see it. Um, it's not your typical writ. We don't sit in the front lawn. Uh, stage equipment. So we we split off. We'll do a couple different configurations. We'll do two and two. We'll do three and one. It's a small house. We'll have the EO like shuck equipment, partially get get dressed out, but mainly the EO will uh, bring equipment as needed. And the three of us will do 360s. We'll go on the side. We'll, we'll check everything out and watch the, content, uh, the the conditions either deteriorate or get better. So we're very proactive to that, and 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 that's important for me to be proactive instead of reactive. And that's why I feel the uh, the dispatch needs to change for us instead okay. of calling us behind the ball, which is what usually happens. I, so I, I think that's, that that happens on a lot of fire grounds across the country. Um, I, I think it's a really interesting conversation because the, the forward writ, if you will, your words, right, is, yes. you know, um, thinking about the different dynamic fire grounds that we have and, and every obviously every fire ground is different. Um, being able yes. to make those on the fly decisions and having a command staff understand and appreciate what RIT brings to the table allows them to set up for success, right? Uh, I think too often we put the worst people in the RIT position, right? We'll take the least performing engine company that's responding in on that box and probably assign RIT to them because we feel like, well, it's RIT, you know? Uh, yeah. and you know, we're not going to need them. We never, you know, we never run into problems here. So we're going to put our less performing company in, in the rip position. And those guys slump off the rig and throw their shit in the front yard and, and they just stand there. Right. For yeah. you guys. I mean, I have to think a lot of this aggressive mentality, um, is based upon your experiences because Houston has had a, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, line of duty deaths over the years. You, you, you talked about the Southwest fire before and, you know, and so I have to think that that is constantly pushing you guys to ensure that your writ programs and the way you operate are just second to none. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and our new training captain, Michael Hare has been, uh, I love Mike O'Hare. Can we just talk about him for a half a second? <laughs> yeah. Like I, yeah, I love him a good O'Hare. plug because he's worth it. <laughs> well, he is worth it, and I'm going to get him on this. I'm going to, I want to get him on because I would love to pick his brain too. I think Mike is just, just like you. I mean, you guys are just, you know, I, I get to sit around with you guys. I don't mean to sidebar off the conversation, but I get to like just hang out with you guys and listen to you, you guys just rap, and it's like the coolest shit in the world, man. I'm like the luckiest guy in a fire service. But anyway, yeah, Mike O'Hare, we're, Mike, you're, you're going to be on the podcast if he's listening. So anyway, Mario, do it, man. What else? What, what were we talking about? I'm sorry. Before we got off um, topic, <laughs> that's my fault, man. Totally my fault. Mike <laughs> O'Hare, he's setting you, out. setting you, get, yeah, right, setting you guys up for success with the training. And that's a big thing of training officer that actually um, is not just worrying about your certs and doing your CE. That he's actually driving training, bringing, trying new stuff, you know, um, and getting out of what I what. I've heard, and I'm going to uh, use this expression. I've heard this from Pat McNamara, who's this former Delta Force, uh, institutional inbreeding. Got it. Institutional inbreeding. We've been uh, in this box, little box, for so long. We've been doing the same stuff, hadn't expanded or developed our training outside to do different things or even learn or, or get new equipment. So uh, he's helped drive driving that and 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 just making us a better team. But as far as the RIT training, going back to that RIT stuff, uh, Rescue Forty Two, he was the EO at the time. Came up with a great comprehensive way to to do the Scott uh, approach, the uh, Scott Air uh, RIT Pack Three, and how to use it and the different positions for five for firefighters. So it's real it's real comprehensive, easy, and anybody that's an uh, engine ladder company can do it. 
So uh, I, yeah, that's YouTubers out there. Check it out. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. That's cool, man. We'll, we'll find the info on that and share it for sure. But I mean, that, that speaks to, you know, I think what's so important for departments is, is being able to get the right people in the right positions. Right. I mean, you know, yes. whether, whether it's on the fire ground or administration, it's finding the right people that want to push the mission forward. Um, and I think, you know, for me, when I sit back and think about RIT, it, it, to me, it has not become an issue in my world where I, the importance of it weighs on me heavily and it should, right? Because, you know, protecting our own, saving our own, um, needs to be at the forefront of what we do on the fire ground when it comes to reaction time of when something goes south and for, for you to be a part of, um, you know, um, line of duty deaths and and being on the fire ground for those and being directly involved in the operations um that obviously has put you in a different lane than say myself and that's just you know brutal honesty in my world is that writ is is often like i said it's an afterthought just because we haven't had that mayday go south yet right and and I think that that's an honest conversation that a lot of firefighters and fire departments need to start having is the importance of RIT. And, and as building construction changes, lightweight construction, things like this, I mean, we're having, yes. you know, we're having uh, buildings compromised much more quicker than, than we used to with new construction and composite building materials. So we're, the cards are stacked against us more and more as we hit the pavement every day. And we need to Very do sure. a better job of educating ourselves and training ourselves on the importance of protecting our own. I agree. And, and once again, goes back to knowing your equipment, training with your equipment, um, training environment can change, you know, conditions can change, but as long as you know, your equipment uh, inside and out, um, check it every day. <laughs> it's another thing. Yeah. Uh, simple things like, uh, making sure your air pack is on right, that it's not the, the, the waist belt isn't hanging that it's on you properly and nice and cinched because that in effect translates to me. Right. I, I approach you. I got you, you're down. I could roll you on your side, put you in a position where I could put that air pack on that the uh, the mask on. The guy below me, he's putting on that waist. We have a uh, a ladder, a ladder um, carabiner that we use to clip onto the waist belt. So, you know, that's extra time cinching that down. Right. On somebody. We don't do the lat the uh, seatbelt conversion. So, um. Do you just know, a lot back. Do you know what I'm it. what I'm hearing? So this this makes for a really good conversation is that the way you prepare yourself matters to everyone else. You know, we always do it in a functional way of like how you conduct yourself on a fire ground and, and doing doing your job correctly and so on. But it's I never thought of that before, Mario, about not wearing, say, not wearing your SCBA correctly. And when we train, we train on guys to have their waist straps on. And so if we have to do a conversion or we need to find a, a, a point to grab, right, if your waist strap's not done, it now throws a curveball, especially in uh, low visibility or zero visibility or whatever, where we're looking for something that should be there is not there because we decided not to wear waist strap. Absolutely. And you know, if, it's, if it's down hanging, it's gonna, now it's going to add a... It'll get caught, grabbed, whatever. So that's another factor to look at too. I never thought of that before. I think that that's I think that's a really important topic. Is that you know you you gotta you gotta set yourself up and operate in a way that others would expect you to do. Yes, um, and that in itself can lead to a little complacency because now you're expecting that, and then yeah. Then, so then now you get an old shit factor. <laughs> yes, yes. Continue uh, training that should be seamless. Um, I'm writing that one down, man. That's a that's a good conversation to to dive in on another day. Um, is how you how you conduct and, and dress yourself and and how that affects the the fire ground and, and compared to training. That's that's a really good point, man. I'm I'm glad you pointed that out. So that's fantastic. But of mine, I appreciate that. That's a pet peeve of mine. Yeah, no, that I mean that's good. I mean, so pet peeves are important, right? Because you you've been there, you've done it, you know, and so you can tell me something that I've never done before. You can then set me up for success by sharing your story 
and letting me understand like, hey, this is important and this is why. When I haven't been privy to that before, I haven't operated under those conditions before, so I wouldn't know. You know, like I wouldn't put thought to it. But the fact that you have and the fact that you can convey that message, that's the importance of what we're doing here today is telling stories so that we can learn from them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I love it. So I, I have to tell you, man, this has been a really great conversation because you you really had a, so much to share. I know you're, I mean, 20 years in, you still got a few years left in you and uh, or a lot of years left in you. Are you still in love with the job today like you were on your most excited day? Uh, yes, and I also have more respect for it and the fact that I know what can go to sh- what can go to uh, to hell in a handbasket really quickly. So I respect it more um, to that end. I respect good leadership. And um, yeah, I still love it. I still want to get better at it. I still do stuff. I still train. Um, you know, I'm, I'm helping out with the with the triad to, to do uh, swift water rescue. Um, if Michael Hare will let me help out with his classes more, that'd be that'd be good too. <laughs> That's awesome. Talk about a plug. There you go. That's fantastic. Well, that's the Michael Hare hour. That's funny, man. That is funny. But I mean, that's it's so good to hear that you're still loving it, still pushing yourself, still training. What about those new kids coming into the special ops? And you're the guy that's sitting there with uh, some seniority in the company now. Do you enjoy? I mean, obviously you teach, and and so obviously you enjoy the instructional. Uh, you know, efforts that you put forward to, to new guys, but like, it's gotta be fun to get some new guys into your rescue company and to watch them grow from, you know, just through your own experiences. Right. I mean, you, you came up through looking for more, feeling a little complacent in the engine company. It wasn't the busiest of house. Right. And then you wanted more, you found more, you pushed yourself, you've been through the ups and downs of it. And now you get to watch these other guys come up through the company. What is, what does that do to you? Um, it makes me better. It makes me sharper. Um, keeps my edge. The other thing, too, going back to what we had talked about earlier, they're coming up. They're trying to learn as much as they can and be sponges. But you got to direct them into, you know, how to do that and on, on what to do as far as that goes. So that's the other leadership going down. So you're leading to that. You're a leader in that respect. And you're leading them to kind of uh, uh, steer them. Right. Uh, we got a crop of guys. We really have a good group within. They came in the last two years. Uh, really solid group of guys. Uh, uh, my my partner Ben Allen is, I think, three four years now. He's just solid. He's a rock star. Four century, uh, swimming. He's just amazing. We got a lot of good a lot of good people coming in, and and uh, once again, Michael Harris is helping to foster that uh, better training. We're trying to get more money, of course, that's a, that's, a, that's an issue. Always is. But, so that's everywhere. Um, but as far as the guys coming in, they want to learn. They're hungry, and we're we're kind of platooning them to to, to do and 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 learn the right stuff. That's fantastic. Um, I also gonna... see it mm-hmm. in the rookie at our station. We have rookie rookies, and they're looking at the rescue truck and kind of looking around. And I'll tell them, hey, open up the door, see what's in there. You know, pull something off, see how it works. We can see how it works. You know, type stuff. Yeah. Uh, the guys that have been in like five, six years, they're kind of reticent. They don't want to look that direction usually. But if we're out there training, they'll come and watch and ask questions, which is good. But I see it more in the rookie rookies um, than the guys that have been in probably five or six years, which is, eh, you know. Whatever. Yeah, no, but I I get it. Them. I mean, I, I look at it, you know, I, I think that the rescue companies, I mean, I think it's something that certainly is um, – uh, a lot of guys aspire to get there. Guys that, you know, want to learn the different disciplines. They want to broaden their uh, perspective of the job and the abilities and the jobs at hand. I mean, you know, I think it's a, the rescue company is, is kind of a prestigious position on, on in any department only because usually they put and train some of the best guys they can there. And, you know, not to take away from other companies, but I think that's, you know, for me as an outsider looking in, like you always look at the rescue company and believe that the caliber of firefighters that are there 
are um, are good, and you know, and they represent the best of the job, and the the aggressiveness, the the training aspect, all of it just gets packaged into that. And so, um, you know, I think that's important, and I think for for that type of uh, that type of persona, if you will, guys aspire to get there. And for you to to show what you guys do to educate your own rookies and so on might be setting one of one or two of them up down the road to want to come back and be a member of the rescue. Yes, and I have a couple guys that are like that. They're just they're they're stellar. They're at uh, ladder houses right now, and once they get their five years, they're they they want to put in for rescue. So I'm excited for that. That's cool. The other thing is I. I'm kind of jaded as far as ladder companies go because I got 51s and 68s knocking on my door. <laughs> good, got mo- good, good companies. Yeah. You can't, uh, <laughs> I'm kind of jaded in that respect. So when I get to a scene or their uh, extrication, we get there, we just like, Hey guys, what's going on? You know, whatever you guys, we we're there for support and not Rochambeau them or pull equipment off, off their trucks or whatever. Like it used to be, old rescue was like that. They push people out of the way. Hey, get out! We know better than you. We're not like that at all. Yeah, yeah. You guys are driving the scene. We're just we show up. We help out. We need us. We're there. Um, you know, there's certain instances where we will take over, but more than likely, no. Uh, and we just help drive them and 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 be behind them as support mechanism, a hundred percent. And we got stellar stellar guys in my district. So fifty one to sixty eight, kudos you guys hey i've been i've been to 68s and uh you know uh, i was with mo uh for a day down there with a couple other guys and just hard-hitting firemen i mean that, that's it you know yes. I, it's just there's nothing there's no other way to explain it and um you know these guys go to work they turn a wheel all day and all night and they go to fires and so they are good badass firefighters that's it plain and simple good. we we got other engine companies in there, like 73s on my ship. That captain, when he makes a, re- a report, a report, it's like, damn, you, that is awesome. You know exactly <laughs> what's going on. He's calm. Yeah. I love that. That's cool. Now it gives me information. I know what's going on. I can hear uh, inflection in the voice if it's really going bad. You know what I mean? So that helps me get something in the back of my mind to start thinking about certain things. So it helps my plan. Yeah, for sure. So what's next for you, Mario? 20 years, you got a couple more in you. You're doing training. You're loving the spec re- rescue, the, the technical rescue. What's next for you? Um, I'm going to try to do 30 altogether, and uh, hopefully I can run and gun with you guys with uh, affordable drill towers and, and, and hang out with you guys more. That would be amazing. It is. From OGs like my buddy Dave Gallagher, who's a, who's a god in my eyes. His uh, podcast just posted this morning. <laughs> I just yes. posted. I just posted his this morning. Good, good. He's yeah. He's he's amazing. He's a, I I look up to him, the OG there. Yep, for sure. I do too. I do too. I think you know surrounding ourselves and, and everybody says, oh, surround yourself with like minded people. You know, but there is just so much to that. There really is. You guys are like kids still. I mean, you're <laughs> advancing in careers, and a lot of guys retired, but you're like it's amazing. It's like being in the candy store with you guys still just it's contagious and that's what it is that's what i love about you guys you guys are contagious i uh i have to believe that you know i man i love i love the fire service it's my life it's my lifestyle it's my life and when i get to meet different people across the country and i get to do this I get to tell stories and hear stories and interject my ideas and thoughts, but then respectfully listen to everybody else and, like, guys that have – I mean, I'm just a fly on the wall, man, compared to, like, so many people that I get to meet. And I know we all feel the same way, right? And and so it just makes it better. Like, I don't know how you can't be in love with this anymore. And and I I just – for me, like, it's going to be a lifelong thing for me. I don't think there's anything that could really – get me to the point to turn it off and not to be where I am today with it. Um, I am just incredibly grateful that I found the fire service and I was fortunate that my father found it before me and that's how I found it. Right. And I'm, I'm just incredibly grateful for that because I feel like it has set me up in life to just be a better person and to have something that I truly and unconditionally am passionate about. I don't know how many people can say that. 
Yes. And you get to have dinner with your, your, your friends. You get to laugh, joke, cry, a fun group of guys and like-minded guys get paid to do these things. Yeah. Not many households to this day have dinner together. You know what I mean? So it's like, I get it. I get it completely, man. And uh, I just, you know, with that, I just want to say thank you, man. Thanks for hanging with me for the last hour today and telling a couple stories and, and uh, just getting a, you know, really getting to understand um, you and, and your love for the job. I mean, that's what this is all about. So thank you for sharing your story today. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate you guys. Uh, you're a rock star. So hang right there. I'm going to, oh, if people uh, want to reach out, they want to continue the conversation, is there a social media handle they can find you at or or an email address? There's sometimes people, are, you say something in these podcasts and people just want to, you know, ask another question on top of it. Would you mind sharing that with, you know, the audience? Uh, I'm on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, am I, <laughs> I'm hardly on it, but uh, <laughs> yes. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Well, look him up. Mario Badillo, thank you, brother. I appreciate you being on today with me, and uh, I appreciate your friendship, and uh, I absolutely look forward to uh, future projects together and and seeing you soon. Yeah. So appreciate you love being you, on bro. today. Yeah, I love you too, man. Hang right there. I'm just going to sign out, and then I'm going to jump right back to you. So just hang out one sec, okay? You got it. Cool, man. Guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode of National Fire Radio on the podcast platform. Please share, like, subscribe. Talk about it at the kitchen table tonight with your crew. We're telling some good stories with some incredible guests and some lessons learned and some ideas. Get the conversation going because when we talk about the job, we make the job better. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.